Hello, welcome back to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and back again is our Greenstead... Ah! You're not greenskinned at all, are you? Neither is Adam uh, Warlock. Not last I checked. Now, there's that one spot, you know, down between... Well, yeah, last I checked, I wasn't green. So, with me again is the person whose intro I just completely screwed up, John Wilson. Hello! It's okay, my intros have been screwed up before. I was going to go gold-skinned, and I looked at the cover of this issue, and I saw the Hulk. And I went but, you know, Diogenes said that beauty is a better recommendation than any letter of introduction. So as long as I got the looks, we're okay. Yes. But Famous podcasting tr- looks. Yeah, I think we're in trouble in that regard, so never mind. Forget I brought it up. Uh, don't worry, John. I'm told you have a face made for podcasting. Yeah, something about your mother. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> She's the one who told me. That's right. That was her. <laughs> it's been a while, Al. No, it hasn't. You were just here two episodes ago. I know. Like, to them, it hasn't been that long. But to us, it's been a minute. Yes. Or um, a cosmic minute. Yeah, a cosmic minute. So I had to reread 176 before I re- before I read 177 because I didn't remember it. But I do have the Incredible Hulk 177 in my hand and, more importantly, in my brain. Yes. Talking about tonight. I had to reread 176, too, because pulling back the curtain, we recorded that a while ago. Wait, there's a 1762? I was supposed to read that one? Yeah! No, no, that comes later. 1762? That's way further down. That's four numbers. Oh, okay. I know there's a 1602 in Marvel. Yes, there is. There's 1602 number one. Just to make it more confusing. <laughs> and there's five numbers now! And then they have an ongoing and they do like a point one issue, and the whole world falls apart. 1602, issue zero. zero. But it's not a zero, there's 1602! Anyway, uh, fun with numbers. Welcome back to Fun with Numbers. It's a, that's our podcast. Yes. But yeah, it's been a while since we recorded this, even though the last... 176 was two episodes ago, because life sucks. Uh, so on that uh, happy uh, note... Only, only sometimes, but you know, it does kind of suck for Adam Warlock tonight. Yes, it does. It really sucks for Adam Warlock. Sort of. Because I think... <clears throat> Jerry Conway, and then as soon as I finish this, we're going to go put in, the intro, put in the synopsis so anyone who's not ready yet can follow along with us. But before we get to the synopsis, just so you people know, this issue kind of kind of sucks for Adam Warlock. Because if you read carefully, subtly, there are some clues. And when I say subtly and carefully, you have to be careful of subtlety in this issue. Because Jerry Conway took subtlety around the back behind the barn, beat the hell out of it with a bat, and shot it in the head. Okay. I see how we're going to play it. Yes. <laughs> Um, this is, this issue is as blatant with the metaphor as we have ever seen. In fact, at, there's, there are a couple points in the story where we're just going to have to set all illusion aside and just speak directly about Christian narrative and Christian mythology because there's, there's some opinions I have about what this, what this issue is doing with You it. mean every time Adam Warlock appears? <laughs> You'll see what I mean, people, right after you hear this. The Incredible Hulk 177, Peril of the Plural Planet, written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Herb Trimp, inked by Jack Abel, colored by Linda Lessman, lettered by Artie Simic, 
Edited by Roy Thomas. Cover, Herb Trimp. Original cover date, July 1974. Sale date, April 2nd, 1974. Original cover price, 25 cents. The Mamby's four Lieutenant Newmen carry the unconscious Bruce Banner into the White House, while Herb Trimp does a really cool two-page splash, catching us up on the events of the past issues. Inside the White House, the Mamby's gets a call from Lizardus that Adam Warlock has escaped. He implants a microtransmitter beneath the skin in the back of Banner's neck, so they can track him anywhere, hoping Banner, or the Hulk, will at some point meet up with Warlock. The microtransmitter can also cause pain, but when they test it on Banner, it is enough to turn him back into the Hulk. The Hulk does some smashing, and escapes into the sewers, where he runs into Porcunus, whom he had met last time he was on Counter-Earth, in issue 158, or episode 17. Since Porcunus asked the Hulk for his help, the Hulk agrees, warning these new men that if they lie to him, he will crush them all. Inside the Justice Department, we meet brand new supporting characters Ben Vincent and June Volper. Ben has been investigating the past of President Rex Carpenter, who we know is really the man-beast, and that the president has become such a recluse recently that there's even evidence he has disappeared. They're on their way to an appointment to meet with the president, but are turned away, which only strengthens their suspicions. Meanwhile, Procunus brings the Hulk back to his base, where the Hulk and Adam finally meet and become friends. One night, while they're all having dinner together, their last supper together, as it were, the man-beast has finally pinpointed their location, using the microtransmitter in the Hulk, and uses its ability to cause pain to make the Hulk go wild. Using this distraction, the Man-Beast shows up with his army of new men. While the Hulk is able to come to his senses, the Man-Beast still takes him and Adam prisoner. While preparing for Warlock's trial, we learn that Rex Carpenter and his sister Estrella are being held captive beneath the White House, except when the Man-Beast is possessing President Carpenter. Instead of holding an actual trial, the Man-Beast, as the President, goes on camera and ask the public if they should take the chance of a trial or just kill Warlock now. Thanks to the Mambi's hypnotic abilities, the country wants to kill Warlock now. Using some sort of giant death ray, Warlock is killed and returns to his cocoon form. Next issue, When Comes the Apocalypse. This issue has been reprinted a number of times and in a number of countries. And because of that, I apologize in advance to anyone who's either from those countries or a native speaker of those languages for the name butchery I am about to do when I try and pronounce them. Also, I'm trying something new. From now on, I want to try and put these reprints in the order they came out chronologically. So, oldest reprint to the newest. Let's see how this goes. First reprint, Lay Incredible Lay Incredible Hulk, number 36, which is a French-Canadian reprint from 1974. Marvel Treasury Edition, number 24, from 1979. Hulk, Gamma, number 9, which is a French reprint with a really easy name, thank you France, from 1980. Essential Hulk, Volume 5, from 2002. The Incredible Hulk Complete Collection DVD-ROM, from 2007. Marvel Masterworks Warlock, Volume 1, also from 2007. The Essential Warlock, Volume 1, 2012. And digitally on Comixology.com and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues. It later changed its name, first to Atlas Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. 
The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31st, 2014 to June 1st, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. And now you heard that. And it was lovely. Good job. Thank you. I tried. So, Crabble Hulk 177. Now, you mentioned Jerry Conway. I did want to just go on record as saying that I'm a little bit bothered that Roy Thomas is not the one writing these last issues. Or Mike Friedrich. Or Mike Friedrich, but, but Roy Thomas started us on this journey. He started us down this road, and yes, he's editing, and I think we saw last time that he had a little bit of plot um, input. On that last issue, I think, yeah. But he's not writing the issues. He's the boss over Jerry Conway who's writing the issues. And it's just, it's just a little bit, little bit sad that he's not finishing his story himself. I, I always wonder, how do they determine, how is it term- was determined? Because back in the Bronze Age, it was a big, that was always something that happened that you could always, almost always count on if your series got canceled and the story was not over. They were going to find somewhere else to finish it. You just, well, the question it, was where. I was just wondering, how did they determine what book? I think in this case, it made the most sense to go back to the Hulk. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of is, A, Roy Thomas is editing, I'm assuming probably editing the other issues of the Hulk, and also that he's appeared in the Hulk before. But I'm just surprised like there was no other book that Mike Friedrich was writing that he was like, hey, I'll finish it here. Yeah, Mike Friedrich um, is not yet doing Captain Britain. I don't know what Friedrich is doing right now. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we have the Hulk. We have the Warlock, Warlock showing up in this. And um, we have the new men with their oh-so-stupid new man names. Yes. Which continue to amuse me because their names are Cobra. Not like Yobra, but Cobra! And um, Weeze Hill, but I'm pretty sure the H is silent, so it's just Weeze Hill, and just stuff like that. <laughs> it is entertaining. So, yeah, these are bad new men names, but all new men names are bad. I mean, they're all just so, again, blatant and obvious. The Hulk gives us some recap. Oh, do you want to hey. talk about the, the cover? Oh, yeah, let's go back to the cover real quick. So they actually put the title of the old series on here because it says the Incredible Hulk battles the power of Warlock. The power of Warlock. Because I think that's the last time we get power of Warlock on a cover. Yeah, Jim Starlin pretty much abandons that um, phraseology for his. Exactly. He's like, we don't need that. Who needs that anyway? Yeah, so Adam Warlock in his oh-so-fancy red shoulder-stiff tunic thing with the yellow lightning bolt. The Captain Marvel-inspired outfit, yeah. Yeah, and his um, metal He-Man underwear, mm-hmm. and his boots that blend into his skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you can almost not realize they're boots. Kind of like really old Golden Age Superman boots, which weren't boots so much as shoes that laced up like circus wear. Yes. And yeah, they're grappling on the front, and it's great, and it's fun, except that this hardly happens in the issue. This is like a five-second moment in the issue that does not matter. 
Yeah, this has nothing to really do with ha- what happens in the issue. And his his words to save all of Counter Earth, the Hulk must die. Nope. Nope. Not yet. Nope. That's, that, that's not even true. Nope. The only thing that's actually true is the bo- corner box on the bottom. In this issue, it really happens. The death of a superhero. And if you have been paying attention at all to anything related to Adam Warlock, you can guess who's going to die. Yeah. It's Charles Atlas. Exactly. Uh, I thought it was uh, Rocky from, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Could be. Could be. Oh, wait, no, that's Adam's twin brother. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get to the new men who are carrying Bruce Banner. And we get a big old two-page spread. Now, we don't get recap. many two-page two spreads back then. This is pretty unusual, you're right. Herb Trimp was like, you know what? Let's just we're put all the re- the thing in one, you know, we have to use, got to, re- you know, uh, what's that word? I can't remember the word I'm looking for. Flashback, I guess. Recap. Recap. English is hard. Sometimes. <laughs> I guess Herb Trip is like, instead of just wasting time with the recap, let me do something interesting with it. Right. And, I mean, the two-page spread is pretty cool. It's interesting they use so many pages, though, because this is the day of really short page counts for stories. What I can double-check, like, but I'm pretty sure this is just a 17 or 18-page story. Uh, hold on, I can look at my thing right now. I have 18 pages. Okay. So 18 pages, one of which is a splash page, and two of which are recap. So it's really a 15-page story. Yeah. But they get a lot in this 15 pages. Yeah, to be fair, it does start in earnest when we get to page six. That's um, comic page six, not story page six. Yeah. Because this is the era where they would number the pages, but the page counts took the ads into account. So we we see the man beast. Yes, he's still president. And obviously, I think we might have mentioned this at the very end of last issue since we saw a warlock captive. But obviously, some time must have passed between this story and Warlock 8 because obviously Warlock got his butt kicked by the man beast. Because last right. we saw in Warlock 8, they were facing off. And in 176, Adam Warlock was captive the whole time. Yeah. The man beast, his his rise to power has definitely, you know, been strong. He is continuing to pose as... Uh, President Carpenter. Yeah, Rex Carpenter, but not actively right now. He's traipsing around the Oval Office in his um, spiky shoulder rings man-beast form. Yeah, you're you're right, by the way, because that's all I could think of is I'm looking at him as, in his outfit. I'm like, wow, that's a He-Man outfit. Yeah, yeah, he is <laughs> He is a He-Man character. With the arm just completely exposed, so if you accidentally break it off, you know, the arm just pops right off. And, uh, yeah, look at him. The Satan of this counter-Earth. The Lucifer of the fallen new men. In case you didn't get the symbology with the word Satan, they're also going right. to put Lucifer out of you, just in case. Now he says, at last the hour of revenge draws near, the moment when I'll make the high evolutionary pay for banishing me from Wundagore. So this has all been, this entire series, and, and you know, Warlock's action against the high evolutionary are... No, I guess high evolutionary against the man beast. The man beast has just been doing one big revenge ploy against the high evolutionary for banishing him. He wants to ruin his creation. Um, he wants to corrupt it. Does that sound so? Like- that goes really way far back. 
Yeah, that's because that banishment from Wendigore predates. Yeah, that's Thor one thirty five, which you talked about like five years ago. Something like that. I wasn't even doing the podcast five years ago, and I still talk about it five years ago. <laughs> I think it's like episode seven. Yeah, episode seven. And 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 the man beast went down into the planet and messed up the high evolutionary's creation while the high evolutionary was taking a nap. Um, that was all the beginning of a big ha ha kind of revenge move against the high evolutionary. Yeah, and making it even further back, you know, for them, for people who are reading it, reading this issue when it came out, that was even predates Warlock One. That was Marvel Premiere One. Yeah, yeah, it does predate Warlock One. He was already on Earth, counter-Earth, screwing things up. It rings the metaphor bell because, you know, what we have is Satan being cast out of of Wundagore before humanity even existed. Exactly. So he was cast out, you know, which is according to some versions of of the Christian story and um, biblical story, he was cast out of heaven. Um, before humankind was even created, and everything since then has just been one big revenge ploy exactly. from the fall in the garden on. So that's being done here. Oh, and we also have on this page, also have here, which by the way has nothing to do with the biblical thing, another new man, Lizardus. I like Lizardus, but we could do Lizardus. Either way works. Two things. One, I will a prize to the first person who's able to guess what animal he is created from. <laughs> Second, panel three of this of this page. Is that shadow, or does he have like a French style mustache? I love the mustache idea. I want it to be true. I want it in my life, but I fear that it is simply shadow. I know, but I'm going with mustache because that just sounds so awesome. Yeah. Because it's the mustache king. Because now he has like a little French mustache and like an accent. Like, monsieur, there's been an accident. <laughs> it's a Oilaxa. He, he, he's escaped. That's awesome. Yes. That's that's the way it is. And then if there, it, should, it really should be Lizardus because, you know. That makes more sense. That works with the name, with the Frenchness. Because, yeah. yeah, you know, Newman can be multicultural too. Right. They can. Yeah. I mean, the man beast is completely evil and despicable, but he, you know, he's not a racist. He has lines. We um we get on the next page the beginning of Hulk as Judas. Yes, because he's implanting the uh, little microchip thing in, underneath Banner's skin to uh, use to so track him. So even though it's an unwitting Judasness. He's still, you know, he's still being employed as a betrayer of Warlock. Uh, he's going to be sent into the camp and and and, and tr- tracked along the way. It was so, um, yeah. He says uh, he's going to make him his unwitting pawn. Yes, although it's kind of funny. It's like the Man Beast knows he's the Hulk, but doesn't know that he's from Earth, even though he knows Hulk is from Earth, and he knows his Bruce Banner is not the Hulk. It's like he remembers some information, but not all. Just a minor yeah, thing. But I was reading that, that I'm like, because they make a big thing in the beginning on the first page. They make a big thing about how this person is Bruce Banner, but they know it's not Bruce Banner. So how can it be Bruce Banner? 
And I was sitting there going, I wonder if this is actually going to be brought up. And I'm like, oh, it actually is. But the new men, unlike most of the humans of Earth, of this, of counter Earth, who think they're just on Earth, the new men know they're on counter Earth. And the man beast especially is from Earth. He knows right. about, I'm pretty certain he, and especially with the Hulk showing up at 158, I'm pretty damn sure, I'm pretty damn certain he knows what the Hulk is. So if he's like, well, this guy is the Hulk, and he turns into Bruce Banner, and it's not our Bruce Banner because we know where he is. So this must be the Hulk from the real Earth. But no, he doesn't say that. He says, we know that this banner is an imposter. No matter, for our purposes, his true identity is irrelevant. All that matters is he can turn into a Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense, does it? No. It's like, think, man beast, think. Come on. You're supposed to be better than that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little disappointed with him. But then again, also, his... And this is not just Herb Trimpy. This is everybody. Like, Man Beast's face changes from, like, a more, um, a guy who just has some fur on his face to actual animal-looking face. Because, like, the page is so before, like, when he's looking at that phone, doesn't really look very animalistic. Just kind of like, you know, looks like a mask. Okay. Like, the, it looks like, it looks kind of like Planet of the Apes. <laughs> like the mask they wore in the old Planet of the Apes movies. It does, yeah. And then the next page when he's like, we get these three panel close-up of him, that really looks like some kind of animal face, animal-human hybrid face. I think it's just a question of detail and doing, you know... Yeah, and it's not just Herb Trippi. I've said that before. Like, everybody seems to do that with the Man-Beast. He kind of seems can... to jump back and forth between those two. Gotcha. Well, the the implanting of the transmitter... Um, is apparently not kind to Bruce Banner. No, no, because then they test the transmitter by activating its sonic probe at full power. Because now, your way of testing anything is to jack it all the way up to 11. I guess, but they're not going to operate it at that full power level, so why are they testing it at that full power level? Because Man Beast immediately finds out, stop the transmitter, fool, don't you see? He's collapsed. But he hasn't really collapsed. He starts to change. Now, I just want to pause for a second. I know this is not a Hulk podcast, but I was just thinking about it as I was reading the bottom of page 10. He says, you fools... Do you realize what you've done? My heart, it's racing. The transformation, it's beginning, and I can't stop it. But why should I stop it? Why shouldn't I want to be the Hulk? Hulk is stronger than anyone. And I just, it just struck me in a way that I hadn't really thought about before. The transitional form of the Hulk and the thought processes that he goes through. He goes from being Bruce Banner at the beginning and not wanting to be the Hulk. And at the end, he's the Hulk with no memory of being Bruce Banner. But in between, there is this mind that is choosing to transform from Banner to the Hulk. And I just found that really interesting because I haven't read hardly any Hulk like as far as long-term runs and anything. So I don't know how, I know that his psychology gets explored in a lot of ways, but, Oh yeah. But just that this, that there is this voice in his mind that whenever he changes says, yes, I want this. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, obviously even just looking at these panels here, the Hulk continues what he's saying is banner, but not realizing he was saying his banner. 
Because it's the Hulk that says, why shouldn't I want to be the Hulk? You know? So, like, he's continuing, like, it's almost like he's waking up from the dream of being Banner and just saying, the, like, the last thing, responding to the last thing he heard in that dream. But it's a dream, so it goes away instantaneously. Okay. So you see him as, as him, like, coming Wait. out of the Bruce Banner form and, and, and being happy to be himself again. Yeah, the Hulk, basically the Hulk fell asleep and the Hulk woke up and he just was, that was like the first thing he heard as he was waking up. Okay. And also I was thinking, poor Bruce Banner, I mean, really, all he gets to do is, he's unconscious, wakes up, says a sentence, done. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the story of his life. Yeah. Because the Incredible Bruce really doesn't work. No. But the Incredible David, I've heard, works really well. The Mighty Bruce works, sort of. Bruce Almighty. Yeah, well, that too. You'll get the the Mighty Bruce in Justice League. (laughs) Just League International. Gotcha. There will be a Mighty Bruce. Trust me. But that's a different show completely, which we are not on. So Hulk smashes. And Hulk remembers. Yes, and he remembers the Animal Men because he was here on Counter Earth in issue 158. And of course, Hulk beats the hell out of them. And the last panel basically sums up the Hulk at this time. Hulk doesn't know where Door is in this place, so Hulk will make his own door. Yeah. And that's basically the Hulk at this time. I'm just going to put a big old hole, right door, right here in the middle of your wall. That's where I want to go, Hal. Except this is the middle of the fl- wall. He pushes a hole in the floor. Yeah. And which is not the best way to exit a place, because then you fall into some other weird place. And Well, two things about that. First, this is the Marvel Universe. Even though it's counter-Earth, there's still... On the, on the regular Marvel Universe, there's about 16 billion subterranean races. <laughs> so I think I, I actually I think that actually this has been calculated. I believe there's a subterranean race, entire race for every man, woman, and child of human beings. Uh, yeah, on su- surface. So there's got to be at least some on Counter Earth because you go under, uh, underground somewhere, you smash on the bottom floor, you're going to find secret tunnels. To be fair, there is a lot, a lot of volume down there that they could have multiple layers of subterranean life. But also, okay. But also so, the other thing is real quick. This is the something that whenever I saw something like that in these issues, it always fascinated me for Counter Earth. Because when he's smashing, it says the caption box says, "Subsurface bunker A3 was completed in 1954 during the height of the nuclear war scare." Except it's Counter Earth, so really it wasn't. But it was because when Counter Earth was only created, even according to their time scale, like what a year ago. Yeah, but they still had all that time go by. It was just ex- accelerated. Like, they've had thousands of years. Yeah, but that's like, that's, that's what fascinates me about it. It's like, it was created, you know, in 54, but technically it was created 30 seconds ago, you know, six months right, and 30 seconds right. ago. At the beginning of Warlock's career. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of fascinating. I, I, I find the fast, I find the idea of time dilation pretty fascinating because we have the math to support the notion of dilating time, making time go more quickly, making time go more slowly for a particular portion of, of, of space. We just don't have any applications to make that applicable. We don't have the math to support backward time travel. 
only forward time travel at different speeds. Um, so the idea of the high evolutionary creating a world and then putting it in a time dilation bubble and letting it go through thousands of years of human evolution, well, really billions of years of planetary evolution. Yeah. But they focused on the thousands of years of human evolution and then slowing that down to scale so that they had a 1954. They had full-on years. It was just in that bubble, and outside the bubble, all that time passed in a few seconds. Or a few hours, because the, the, the man beast jumped down there. Yeah, because I think once they got to that part, I think the time stopped. Right. Although, um, oh, remember, I think, like, way back when we first started doing this, we thought it was weird that the man beast was so entrenched down there when he had just left, like, right before Warlock. But what if the time dilation really wasn't stopped until High Evolutionary set Warlock down? So when the man beast jumped down there, he probably, he might have had, like, 50 years to entrench himself into Counter-Earth. Okay, to really get some so, stuff like, going on. Warlock there. went down in... 70, I forget what year it was, 72 or 73, because obviously it was stopped the same year real Earth was, because that worked mm-hmm. for some reason. But, you know, Man Beast was down there like 1956. Maybe, yeah. Because that would at least make more sense why he was already so entrenched with stuff. Wait, wait. Because when he was down there, he already had a whole army. Didn't Man Beast go down and, and like, Early history wasn't he still responsible for like the fall of man and everything? Well, he it said he was like responsible for the corruption, but I don't think he went. I don't remember, but I don't think he actually went down there until like right before Warlock did. Somehow his being there corrupted it, but I don't think he actually went to it. I think like he changed the buttons. You know, he went mm, corrupt, not corrupt. Oh, corrupt. Click. Okay, that's kind of what I'm I- remembering. Having trouble remembering the details on that because it's been so long. But, but yeah, in any case, time dilation bubble, and the Hulk is now in the sewer. Yes. And there's a, a tr- not tree beard. No, no, no. Tree head. Only his name is Porcupinus. So I guess it's not a tree head. It's a porcupine. Head. Yeah, those are spinies. But this looks like a tree head. Yeah, they're really tangled. Yeah. He looks like, he looks like, um, and they don't look the supreme spikes. intelligence from the Cree. A little bit, yeah. Especially that second panel. Yeah. Where you see, like, the profile. But, yeah, these are the good new, good renegade new men who we only saw in Incredible Hulk 158 because they had nothing whatsoever to do in any issue of Warlock. Right. Ever. At all. Ever. Completely not. They never met him. Remember that for in a few pages. <laughs> never met him. No relation. Put them in a room together, and they have to go, Hi, I'm Procunus. Hi, I'm Adam Warlock. We have never met at all. No, we have not. But they do meet the Hulk, and they're like, Hey, remember us? We're your friends. We helped you fight the Rhino. We can protect you. And Hulk's like, I don't need protection, but you want my help? I can give it to you. In the third panel on page 15, he says, But Hulk warns you. If you lie to Hulk, Hulk will crush you all. And, yeah, that's basically how I raise my kids. Don't lie to me. If you lie to me, I will crush you all. Yes. But I do like the panel before Hulk's like, you ask for Hulk's help, so Hulk will give it to you. He's like, okay, you ask me, I'll help. And you lie, crush. Okay, um, now we go to something that kind of annoyed me in this issue. Ben Vincent and June Volper? Yes. Why? 
I don't know. Because here's the thing. Now, I have, it's been a while I, since I read these three issues, and I have not yet read the, the last part. But sorry to spoil ahead, people, but I'm pretty damn sure that out of Adam's four followers, well, three now, you know, the main ones, only one of them shows up in the next issue. Yeah, David that is and a what's bit her name? unfortunate. Yeah, David and what's her name? I think they maybe show up, I think they have a cameo at the end. It would have been so much cooler if, like, they were saying, yeah, we are, you know, we got set up with fake IDs and, like, we're impostering these two, you know, as people working in there trying to figure, because it still would work with them trying to figure out who Carpenter is and what's going on with him. They don't even need to be imposters. They don't need to have any of this Justice Department notion at all. They can have two people who think Rex Carpenter is bogus and they want to go and save their friend Adam Morlock. It can be David and woman, Julie. I, I, I want to see Julie, too. I feel horrible the fact that I just realized I don't remember her name. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. But, well, I'm only saying imposters in the government just because part of their proof is that they go to have, they have an appointment with the president, but he's not there. He he's, won't meet them. Right. And, and the president still they, doesn't just go randomly meet anyone that just comes up and says, we want to meet you. So that's why I figured, like, you know, they'd be like, yeah, we got these fake IDs to get these, you know, say we work for the Justice Department. But either way, it would have worked with them. I don't know why we had to make up brand new characters. Right. Now, they describe Rex Carpenter. They say before the Trax affair several months ago, which, of course, was Warlock 3, when we first met Rex Carpenter, and as we learned um, recently, that's when he was first possessed by the Man Beast. Um, until that happened, he had been a political non-entity. But I thought he was like a senator or something. Wasn't he Senator Rex Carpenter? When he was making all those speeches and began his run for president? I think he was a senator. I know he's running for president. I don't remember if he was a senator or not. Because I remember they said he was like a grassroots thing. So I don't know whether he was that meant. I don't remember if he was a senator. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was really just some guy. Yeah. I mean, because he was, because I know he appeared like a cameo in two. Because you could see the, like we said this before, you can see the man beast possessing him in issue two. Right. At the very end, when he thinks the man beast is destroyed, and you see him go, like the smoke of him go into a body. Which makes sense, because that was issue two, and then issue three is when he actually starts showing up and making, you know, actual appearances to both the issues and the world. But that, as. That's, like, that, that's the part that still impresses me. Like, wow, like that's some plotting. Yeah, well, it was obvious that Roy Thomas knew the story he wanted to tell. It's just that after he left the book and Mike Friedrich was brought on, and then the book was canceled, and then it was handed over to Jerry Conway to take care of the Hulk, that whole process, I think, made the whole thing last a bit longer than maybe it was intended to do. Because uh, Roy Thomas really and truly could have told this, this entire story and wrapped it up in Warlock 5. You know, he didn't yeah. need to go to this much trouble. Certainly by Warlock 8, all of this stuff could happen. Because, I mean, really, we had some we had some serious filler going on there. Oh, yeah. With, was, yeah, um, that was 10 issues, basically, with the Marvel premieres. That's 10 issues right there. He could have gotten those, that story in. Yeah. And and not lost any of its heart, not lost any anything important. Just wipe out all those filler adventures with the random... The random, um, like the warthog guy and all the other just random beast men that he fought. Take all that out. The brute? Yeah, the brute was in there. The Doctor Doom story was in there. That was cool, 
but not necessary. To an extent. No, you actually... But not necessary. It ended, like, that first four-part story, Marvel Premiere 1 and 2 and Warlock 1 and 2, because I said before, it was like a mini, four-issue miniseries, and that ended that initial defeat of the Man Beast. Then you have issues 3 and 4, which is the Triax, which is what they're talking about, which is where Rex show, starts showing up, makes an appearance, and then they could have done the four more issues, basically, doing the whole saga with Rex Carpenter becoming president and the whole Warlock thing. And, and they, the they could have had him lose the Triax fight. And they could have ended with eight still and had the entire story done. Yeah, they could have had him lose the the Triax fight and go into a cocoon there. And then between uh, issues four and, uh, no, issues two and three. No, no, because in, in three and four is whenever Rex Carpenter started getting active. That's the Triax event. Okay, so yeah, at That's the end of saying. four, he loses. He goes into a cocoon. He wakes up in five and does this. Or he gets captured at the end of four and goes right into this plot that we have right here. Yeah. All that stuff, five, six, seven, eight, and issue 176, none of that was necessary. No. I mean, like, I, I enjoyed the, the good Doom stuff. But, yeah. Not, ne- but again, like you said, not necessary. But I think if they had done that, I think that the Roy Thomas run of Warlock would be better regarded. Because, um, frankly, when people think about Bronze Age Warlock, they think Jim Starlin. Yeah. And they think of this as prologue. Basically. Yeah, it almost seemed like what happened was they did that initial story, and then Mike Peter took over, and it was like, yeah, just, you know, this is your background story. Just keep spreading it out, doing whatever you have to do. And all of a sudden, like, when issue seven or eight was like, okay, we're going to get canceled in a few issues. Wrap it up. Yeah. And then, like, issue eight was done, and he's like, okay, so how much more I got? Oh, you're done. What? What do you mean? Nope, well, I think the mistake was to try to take what started out as a very specific religious metaphor story and turn it into a superhero comic, and that just was that was that was not the right choice, or at least a superhero comic that did other things besides the religious metaphor story. Yeah, I mean, it starts out there and it goes there for a half dozen issues, and then it just goes off and does superhero things and leaves behind its purpose. It's like, and then we have the Day of the Death Birds. Like what? What? what did I do? Right. And we're gonna go we don't need into that. the center of the earth. Were you sure? None of that was necessary. <laughs> Anyways, but that's enough diatribe. Do you notice on page 16, as our two new people, um, Vincent and Volper, Vincent and Volper, as Vincent and Volper leave the office, and we also have Hulk showing up with Warlock, on this page, there is one really cool reference. Uh, let me see, where are we going to? Because I have the issues, I have the only the story page, not the actual issue. So I'm not sure which is page 16. Okay, so we have the next page. <laughs> That's the page I was on. So they're, now what you say? They're leaving the presence. Oh, so the, the, yes, the license plate. Yes! I didn't even see that. License plate, says, what's the license plate number? THX1138. And this is 1974. So Jerry Conway is making a George Lucas reference before George Lucas was cool. Yeah, before Star Wars. I think this is yeah. even before American Graffiti. I think so. I can double check that, but I'm pretty sure American Graffiti was probably just about to come out, but it wasn't actually out yet. I think I think it was seventy six, but I could be wrong. American Griffey was seventy three, so never mind. Um, that was already out by this point. Okay, so he was something 
but he wasn't the guy who made Star Wars. He was not the guy who made Star Wars. He was the guy who made American Graffiti. <laughs> and so and American- THX eleven thirty eight was his one sci-fi attempt before doing this really cool coming of age American story. But quite frankly, American Graffiti is not the movie that's going to make you go looking for something like THX one one three eight. Star Wars that was going to make somebody look for that movie. But I just thought that was neat. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. That means Jerry Conway was probably a fan of that movie. Yeah, it was a 1971 film, so if you saw it, then you knew it, but it had been a while since it was in the theater. Yeah, no, I never even noticed that until you mentioned that. Nice call, nice catch. We finally meet our hero on page 16. Yes, Warlock is there with the Hulk. They meet. Unlike Hulk 158, where Warlock just shows up for a panel having a picnic. Oh, let's see. Yes, that's right. So the, that's that's what happens. That's right. The Hulk is brought to Warlock by the new men who found him, Portunus, because they're Warlock's followers who have never right. met him. Now, there has been some time. Yes, yeah, some time has passed since that last issue. I guess then what happened was... The only thing that would make sense for this is that at the end of it, Warlock 8... It was either a tie between Warlock and the Man-Beast, or the Man-Beast won, but not so completely that Warlock wasn't able to get away. And I guess that must be when he hooked up with these guys, and then at some future battle is when he was captured. I think it's possible that they actually have just recently met him. Here's my idea. Okay. So Hulk 158 happens... And he meets this, you know, offshoot branch of new men who are revolutionary against the Man-Beast. So Adam Warlock is at the same time also trying to lead a fight against the Man-Beast. Adam Warlock is captured and kept prisoner, we're told here, for months. Yeah. And that's enough time for them to rally around him as an idea. And they get the recorder and the recorder is sent to, to, to... rescue out of Warlock, there could be a whole lot of storyline and support for Warlock built up without Warlock actually there. True. And so when the recorder goes and rescues him and brings him back here, he's like, huh, all right. Because cool. the way he talks to Hulk, now part of this, I think, is him trying to ingratiate himself to the Hulk, which he does a damn fine job of. Oh, I yeah. really actually love the way Warlock is toward Hulk in this. He just yeah. accepts Hulk for what he is. He values everything that Hulk says, accepts him for who he is, and responds to him. Yeah, he doesn't just go, oh, the Hulk, you're stupid. I don't have to really – just stop being right. stupid. Just shut up and listen. So he has followers now, but he didn't go garner them. They were just there rallying forces while he was prisoner. And they've done all this building, and Warlock isn't entirely sure that he needed this. At least that's what he says to the Hulk. He's like, maybe they've been too zealous in pursuing a defensive goal. True, so that that makes sense. And it also makes sense why none of Warlock's actual followers are part of this. It does help to explain that, yes. I still think that I, I don't like that story choice. No, I don't like the you, fact that they're completely gone from the story right now. But at least it does follow the logic of the narrative. Yeah, that actually kind of makes more sense. And that's right, the recorder rescued him. Which, speaking of which, I'm always just... I, I would love to know what their plan was for the recorder originally, because he was introduced in Warlock 8. So I was wondering, what like, what was their original plan for him? He was in Warlock 8? Yeah. The High Revolutionary was sending him down. Oh. That's why they have a recorder. That's why he was there, too. That's why he was there in 176. He was actually in the book. He just hadn't met Warlock yet. 
So you're 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 wondering out loud what were they planning to do in issue when they sent him down, but then the boat got canceled, so they didn't get a chance to do that. Exactly. Like, what was their plan for nine, ten, eleven, etc. with the recorder? Just right. Curious. Because recorder has done the only thing he's going to do for this plot. The recorder is on the page in this book, but does not have a single line, as far as I could tell. So anything that contributes to the story, and is just there. He's yeah. just window dressing. Exactly. He, he's plot consistency, but he doesn't actually contribute to the story anymore. No, he rescued Warlock, he let him out, and that's it. He's and like, then we have thought? The Last Supper. Really? Where? I don't... Oh, yeah. And is that the recorder looking at a glass almost all the way up to the right? Yeah, that's the recorder. It's like, hmm, what do I do with this? <laughs> why do they have... Why do they keep giving me water? I'm a robot. I told them I can't drink water. <laughs> Now, and the Hulk, Hulk's even in the Judas spot from the yeah, kind of. He he's in the right position, and he's in the right well, he's in the right position relative to Warlock, and he's in the right position like he is in the painting. In the painting, Judas is holding the bag of money, and in this Hulk is holding a cup, but they're all holding cups. Yeah, so it's it's not yeah. as conspicuous as the bag of money is in the painting. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm to be fair, I don't I don't remember the bag of money, but. I didn't think to look up at the painting. The, only, the last time I saw anything like the painting was the other week when I watched History of the World Part 1, and they did the last separate scene there. But I'm sure the Mel Brooks <laughs> version of it is completely accurate. Yes, I'm sure Mel Brooks is completely accurate in all of his depictions of Christianity. And um, Leonardo da Vinci walks in and says, Hey, Jesus, how you doing? <laughs> I don't, however, think it would be uh, fair to expect Hulk to kiss Warlock, but I do, I would kind of ship them if they went that direction, because they were so cute together on the previous page. Well, the Hulk just loves anybody who's actually going to be friend to him and nice and talk to him like he's not some dumb bunny. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s. From everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, we'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGpod.com and cordindustries.blogspot.com. Instead of doing a kiss, though, they do kind of clink glasses, although Warlock has, like, a camping thermos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I guess you're just scavenging. So instead of ki- yeah, you, you use what you can. So instead of kissing, though, they clink glasses, and that's the clue to the man-beast to raise the sonic something back to full power to turn Hulk into a raging monster. Oh, but wait, before that, you're missing the subtlety when they clink. We must do this again, Hulk. There's a closeness and a dinner of this kind. 
Please promise, if anything happens to me, you'll gather like this in my memory. <gasps> oh my gosh. Subtle, subtle, what subtle. What could possibly happen to Warlock? What could he mean by regular gatherings like this in his memory? What does it all mean, Al? I don't know. It's like they're having some kind of final dinner. Right. And then maybe dining together and ritualistically could be a thing that he's referencing. Okay. Maybe yes. not. No, no. I'm sure not. Moving on. Pro- pro- probably not. By the way, I was just thinking, I think I'm going to do is I'm going to record a little thing of myself saying, Warlock is Jesus. And just every 30 seconds, I'm just going to, like, or two minutes, I'm just going to interject, put that in the podcast. <laughs> or like every time we, we come back to the metaphor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like basically that. Every time we go to the metaphor, we go, mm, I don't know. Well, like, doing this, Warlock is Jesus. Warlock is Jesus. We get the five seconds reference on the cover. Yeah. Um, where Hulk is raging. And he and Adam Warlock square off, but don't actually fight. Yeah, they basically do what's on the cover. They're kind of, like, grapple for a second. Forgive me, Hulk. I can't allow you to do that. By the power of the soul, jewel upon my brow, I must... Zack. And then that thing. And then because the man shot. beast guns the Hulk down. Yeah, I guess, because that, that's right, because he was able to track them with their little tracker thing in the Hulk. Right. Took him a few days. And this is where the man beast also screws up Adam's head. You think so? Well, right here he says, You thought the conflict was between you and I, didn't you? Wrong, Adam Warlock. You were just a soldier in a greater war between the Man-Beast and the High Revolutionary. Okay, two things. First, it's between you and me, not between you and I. Well, the um, Man-Beast is... Hey, look, when you're evil, grammar is the first thing to go. <laughs> right out the door. That's how you know someone's evil. A, they have a goatee. All of a sudden. His, and B, his goatee grammar. is taken over his entire face. And B, yes. See? And B, your grammar, right out the window. Okay, so we're going to have to, like, set aside general illusion and, and you know, I, I need to have some actual commentary on what we're referencing here in the metaphor. Okay. Um, because this is a point in Christian thought and Christian concept that back in my theologian days I used to find fascinating. Um, he says, you thought the conflict was between you and <clears throat> me, didn't you? <laughs> Wrong. You were just a soldier in a greater war between the man-beast and the high evolutionary. So he's asserting that the conflict is between Satan and God, and Jesus is just a lieutenant. Yes. Warlock is saying, oh no, Warlock is no man's tool. I fight for myself, demon, and for the people of this earth. Through the soul jewel, I can tap the power of the cosmos, power enough to destroy you and all your kind. He's asserting that by the power of God, I am your opponent, and I can fight you and will take you down. Now, there That's are right, because diff- the soul gem was given to him by the high revolutionary. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. So he's imbued by power from on high, and he can take Satan down, and he can stand for humanity that way. Now, there are different ways of looking at this and different ways that this conflict has been depicted, because you have... Um, you have Isaiah talking about uh, Lucifer trying to be like the Most High. Mm-hmm. You have John talking about a war in heaven with the beast versus Michael. You also have the Son of God leading armies of humans against the Antichrist 
if you put together different ideas from Revelation and Joel and stuff. So this this conflict is on multiple levels, and I think the story is taking an interesting position because Man Beast thinks he's fighting one war, and Adam Warlock is like, oh no, you're fighting a different one. Yeah, you're not fighting that guy. You're fighting this one. Right. Man Beast thinks he is basically he's leveling up through a game to the main boss. I was about to say something like that. Yeah. He thinks that Adam Warlock is just level five, level five out of seven levels. Right. And Warlock's like, no, 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 no. This is the final. I am King Koopa. Yeah. Well, at least he has all the power of King Koopa. He is King Koopa incarnate. He's here on the high evolutionary's behalf. Or at least Jesus is here on God's behalf and full of that power. Well, using this metaphor, then not so much. He is King Koopa, but like, but as far as you're concerned, this is your this is the bat, last level for you. This is your your end here. You, you, your game doesn't go any further, right? I just found that really really interesting because we get an implication that Satan doesn't fully realize just what he is facing in the person of Christ, which hmm. you know. That's an interpretation. It, 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 it's, it's just an interesting way of looking at that story. And it works for this one. Yeah. It's the one that Jerry Conway is going with, um, either on his own or with Roy Thomas's direction. Yeah, I almost wonder if Jerry Conway really didn't want to, and maybe that's why it's so... Because, I mean, Jerry Conway's usually a pretty good writer. And I don't the think the writing is bad. He's well, not just, just bad, but I mean, not very it's subtle. Well, that's the thing. But he's—I'm pretty certain he's done subtlety before. Like he understands—I'm sure he understands the concept. Maybe like like this panel at the top of this page. So they clash: the man beast and the man god. Now, maybe if that was the only panel like that, really referencing the issue, mm-hmm. it would be subtle. But like he took all the different pieces of subtle he had, all the different things he used for subtle, and said, you know what? I'm going to put every single one of them in. Well, maybe... Subtle goes to not subtle. Right. (laughs) At all. It's possible that knowing they were wrapping things up, they decided to put all of their irons on the fire, all of their cards on the table, and say, you know what? We're doing a crucifixion story. We're not pretending. This is what we're saying. This is what we're doing. And on Front Street. It's the sort of thing they might... they, they, They could get away with in a single issue or two but not with an ongoing saga. But since they're wrapping up, since this is the end of the Warlock saga, they're putting everything out on Front Street, like you said. Yeah. Um, it's funny, because I had never put two and two together on the name choices here. Man-Beast and Man-God, because the the text does depict Antichrist as a union of the beast and man. Yeah. And Jesus is, of course, a union of man and God. So the... I, I just never thought about Man Beast as a name in that way before. Yeah, and that actually and, and actually fits what you were saying because then if he's the if he's really the Antichrist, he that actually kind of works what you're saying. He thinks he's Satan. He thinks he's Lucifer, and since in this little play, if the, the High Evolutionary is God, therefore that's his enemy. Right. But in fact, he's the Antichrist. So his enemy is. Warlock, or Jesus, not the High Evolutionary. Yeah, it's all kinds he's of miscast, He's miscast himself. <laughs> and, and the narrative does kind of play with both ends of the story, because we have the crucifixion story going on here, but that 
the the supernatural side of the conflict with the crucifixion story is very much paralleled by you know the the prophetic side of the end of the world and the apocalyptic battle you know so yeah. it's it's the same battles being fought out just with different representatives and different I don't want to use the word symbols because that seems to be but but different characters representing the sides in the conflict yeah now one interesting thing about this whole thing though is that while the whether you want to call the man beast the satan or the antichrist or both whichever whichever one of those three you want to go with whether he's one or the other or both he was created by the high evolutionary aka the god in the story warlock Mm -hmm. was not he does not come from god technically he was he was not created by god in the story, he was created by man. He was created by those, you know, man, not the man of this earth, but still, he was interesting. He was, now, sent, he was empowered because he gave him the soul gen, and he was sent to counter Earth. Right. So he was sent there. It's just a little interesting little side note in this story that evil that if since we're setting him up as man beast, you know, the evil one, warlock is the Jesus, and evolutionary is the God. That the God character only created evil. He didn't create the good. Okay, here's here is my way of explaining that in the context of our metaphor. Okay. Okay. So Jesus is born of Mary. Yes. So he is made up of genetic material from humanity and also the the substance or stuff of deity. So Which is the soul gem. The soul gem combined with human, you know, the soul gem and the sort of refashioning and design and and, and comics, you know, character design that happened to Adam Warlock started with him and became Adam Warlock because of the high evolutionary. The, The ovum, the egg inside Mary, which would have been just another person or a menstrual flow. Yes. Got turned into the Son of God by, of course, God. So okay, that's, that's I like how that. I'm going gonna, gonna to explain that. I feel like I'm in the. I feel like I'm in one of those uh, Guinness commercials. I just want to go brilliant. <laughs> but see, this is why I love this series is because it actually has a lot of cool stuff going on in it, and I, as as has been made clear in many of my different podcasting places i am not a religious person at all but i know the narrative i know the text yeah and 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 i can look at it if nothing else from a literary standpoint and say look at what's going on here you know um if i were in love with shakespeare and this were a huge in-depth character for character metaphor the romeo and juliet story i'd be geeking out the exact same ways exactly no, I, I I know exactly where you're coming from. I dig it. But anyways, so we're starting to wrap up our story here because um, the fight's on, and Hulk gets involved again, and yeah. he cranes and thrumps some new men. Yeah, and then he does something, and then I'm not sure about the art in the next page. I'm confused. Because the Hulk says, Hulk knows who Hulk's enemies are and who are Hulk's friends. And no, Hulk knows Warlock is his friend. Then why do you tackle Warlock from behind? Um, I mean, it looks like the Man Beast just got knocked or brushed over by accident. 
But like he's spearing I, the warlock, but like warlock's spine should be shattered there. He's like, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, he could definitely be breaking out of warlock. The whole thing would be ruined. I, I think, treated you like a friend, you friggin' moron. Everyone was right about you. When Adam Warlock and Man Beast begin to clash, that's what that's the point where the Hulk starts to come out of his um whatever. And so I think all of the fighting at the bottom of 26, the like bottom three quarters of 26, is him trying to get to Warlock and the Man Beast. Oh, yeah. Because if he can get to them and disrupt the fight, then Warlock won't be, you know, in threat of dying. Problem is, it's not a great move. And by the end of page 27, Man Beast has the upper hand again. Yeah. I mean, the Hulk destroyed, doing that, the Hulk is able to destroy the, uh, the, whatever, the microtransmitter, which is what's causing Hulk pain and Hulk to go berserk. And now no more pain for the Hulk, so Hulk should be able to be himself. And then the man-beast pulls some other random weapon out of his pocket. Or or some orifice around there. And just knocks everyone out, turns him back into Banner. And apparently also beats everybody. Yeah, That's the an awesome end- weapon. He should really sell that to people. That cause, yeah. <laughs> this will just defeat... Look, I take out the Hulk with one shot and Adam Warlock and a whole army of new men who are fighting me, okay? Doom, baby, trust me. You only need one. You only got four people you're fighting. So Warlock is captured. Hulk is de-hulked and turned back into Banner because the man-beast has a who's a what's-us. Yes, he has science. He has a science gun. And... um we get to a death by public trial, which brings us to really the climax of the story that was foretold like back in Warlock issue one, Marvel premiere one and two. I mean, once we knew the game Roy Thomas was playing, we knew how this to end. moment. Yeah. This well, not end end, but Oh, by the way, real quick. Don't blink or you miss it. We actually have two panels of somebody who actually was in Warlock supporting cast. Estrella? Yeah. Yeah, and I like that. I like that because, okay, we've talked before, both this episode and previously, about the man-beast possessing Rex Carpenter and not actually being Rex Carpenter. We see that explicitly now as he takes possession of him right there on the page. Um, I remember how we were really kind of confused about Estrella's conflicting loyalties. And now it makes sense. Yeah, because she was working for her brother, but she didn't seem to be loyal to her brother, but she wasn't exactly being helpful to anybody else either. She was really kind of kind and, of weird. And it makes sense now. Whenever he was the Mambies, Rex was actually free to be himself. Right. And then when we saw him as Rex Carpenter, you know, we saw the Mambies as Rex Carpenter, he actually was possessing Rex Carpenter. And so Estrella is Rex Carpenter's... Sister. sister. But she's not the Man Beast's sister. But which, he, she used that when he was Rex when he was possessing Rex. Right. Back in the beginning, whenever we were, because I'd forgotten some details, back early on, whenever we were talking about the fact that she was his sister, I think we put it in the show before it was revealed in the story. I was all kinds of confused because I was like, she's the Man Beast's sister? And in my head, after the whole time that John that the John Carpenter <laughs> that Rex Carpenter was the Man Beast, but I didn't really remember exactly how it played out. So yeah, seeing her here, friends with her brother, um, well, yeah, wanting I, him to not be possessed again. Yeah, but he is. But you know, because that make, actually, I think you're right because I remember 
we got to the end issue two, and that was it. And then once we found out he was possessing Rex Carpenter, we and they said issue two, we went back and looked, and we're like, and that's when because when I said before that you know we see him in issue two possessing Rex, we didn't notice that when we read issue two originally. We noticed that like issue six or seven when it's mentioned again. Right. So that explains why we were confused because we're like, how is that his sister? And then later on, we're like, oh, yes. They had seeded it. But yeah, so we have a nice little montage here. Rex basically going on the campaign trail to have make sure everyone wants to kill Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. To the point where apparently we have a whole mob waiting as Warlock is tied up to more, I don't know, Kirby machines, thingies. I'm stealing from your Spider-Man show. He's tied up to science. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a stylized cross. Yes, it's a stylized on a science Kirby cross. Machine. Science cross. <laughs> yes. Damn you, science cross! And he's basically using his hypnotic powers to basically get everyone to follow him. He's like, do we actually want to have him go to court and take a chance that somebody's going to say, ah, let him go, or should we just kill him right now? Kill him now, kill him now! <laughs> and then, just to make sure we don't leave off with, you know, we, we want to make sure we still have some, you know, subtlety towards the end of the issue, he says, so be it. My hands are clean. Now, I like this part of the story more with the idea that the public is freely choosing to reject Christ. I think that sings a little bit more. Yeah, well, than semi the idea because I mean, he's well, yeah, here they're not they're not really freely. They're they're hypnotized. But I like the Christian narrative whenever, whenever it's I, it's been interpreted both ways. Which is, I think, where Drake Conway's getting this. I've heard it taught and said that the crowds that chose Barabbas were swayed by the devil. Uh, um, that's 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 an interpretation that's out there. Whether it's you know the one that you know, the listeners agree with or not is 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 a personal thing. Yeah, it's also frankly not that relevant because we're talking about the comic. <laughs> um, but it's. You know, it's the one that Jerry Conway is going with. I prefer the look at the story as this is a crowd of people that are choosing one over the other. Now, there is no other in this. They're just choosing to let Warlock die. Um, so I think it makes a little bit more sense that he's hypnotizing them in the context of this story. Because, it, you know, Pontius Pilate presented two options. I can let Jesus go free, or I can let Barabbas go free. And then I can let Barabbas go free. This guy is saying, I can kill Adam Warlock, or I can not kill Adam Warlock. And it doesn't make sense for them to say, kill Adam Warlock, unless there's a reason for them to, and the reason in this case is they're hypnotized. Yeah. And he's fear-mongering. I mean, which kind of just fit a bit, actually, with current, with, you know, today. Because a lot of times, a lot of politicians, I'm not putting anyone out specific, so I'm not talking about your guy. But let's fit, you know, whoever your guy is, people. But there are a lot of politicians out there or pundits or whatever who do a lot of this fear mongering, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's it's, a trope, it's a trope of politicians. It's just one of those things that we associate with politicians is getting a crowd razzled up. Yeah. But it's, I mean, just the way he, the fear mongering thing concerning it's a big thing recently, the last few several years. Mm-hmm. Just definitely makes this issue kind of, at least this part of it, speak for, you know, very topical. At least that's how it felt to me. 
and okay. then the science shoots at Warlock because it doesn't even explain what it does. Uh, yeah, it's just a low hum, a subtle vibration that passes in a wave across the field, a sudden glow, and an eternity of pain for the golden-skinned savior from the stars. And like you said, it gets really, really direct because Rex Carpenter uses the My Hands Are Clean line, and then Adam Warlock, high evolutionary, why have you abandoned me? And that's, you know, such a direct reference to the Eli Eli Lama Sabathani, which is, you know, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, and in fact, the next page, we don't even see the science machine. We just get the cross surrounded by Kirby Crackle. Mm-hmm. Which, I just actually like the the sentence, cross surrounded by Kirby Crackle. That actually sounds pretty cool to me. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And it does say that the pain fades and passes with death. So the narrator is telling us he does die. But it also says, with death comes one final metamorphosis as his lifeless body returns to the cocoon. Obviously, Rex Carpenter has not read enough Warlock comics. Yes. Because if he had read enough Warlock comics, especially as we continue to on through the saga of the character in the next few decades, you would know that any time you see the Warlock cocoon, he's getting ready for the title of this podcast. Which is why it's the title of this podcast. Resurrections. <laughs> and to be fair, you might say, well, I never read 178. You're kind of spoiling it for me now. Really? Yeah, the entire story has spoiled it for you. It's the best. It's the single best known story in the Western world. <laughs> Go to a um, hotel, open a drawer, you can read it. So yeah, it's done. Warlock is dead. Today, Counter-Earth is mine for the looting. And tomorrow, the first Earth... Wait, the one the Hulk came from? I don't know what a Hulk is. Sorry, being but, snarky. Yes, I know. <laughs> I like... Now, the next issue box is weird. Next issue. Yes, there is going to be a next issue. Well, why wouldn't there be? The book's called The Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk was fine. He's a captive, but he's been a captive before. Nowhere here is the Hulk die. <laughs> so why would there not be a next issue? It says the mind-staggering conclusion of the greatest Hulk epic of all time. Sorry, this is not the greatest Hulk epic of all time. Because starting on page 15, Hulk becomes a bit player in this saga. Yeah, they're definitely using this to service the uh, finale of Warlock. Which is fine. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, hey, yeah, the Hulk not, has not plenty of guy. issues all about himself. You know, he can <laughs> he can give a few issues to a friend of his. But I think that's our book. That is our book. And, you know, as as much snark as we gave the the blatantness of the writing, there are two major narrative points that I was looking forward to covering whenever we started this issue. This is the first of the two. I'm going to guess the second one comes up next issue. No. The second one comes up with um, oh, Starlet. Starlet series. Yes. And that's going to be very soon. You're almost there. Yeah. But the um, the things that Starlin does with this concept tickled me in ways I did not expect. So, um, that's yeah, true. He does take it further in a different way. But he does he does go along with the whole general theme. 
Right. So, um, yeah, I really like this issue. I'm not certain that it's done well because it is extremely blunt and extremely blatant and it casts all subtlety of metaphor aside. Um, but I still really like the issue. No, I do too. Like I said, it's just, I'm just a little disappointing Jerry Conway because he is a good writer and he mm-hmm. could have done it in a way that still tell, you know, he doesn't have to be so subtle that you don't understand what's going on. Right. But he could have done it in a much better way instead of, like I said, taking subtlety behind the back of the barn, beating it with a baseball bat. Yes. I mean, you know, there had to be, he could, there could have been a middle ground between none and this. So I am a bit disappointed in some of it. Then again, like you said before, the two, you know, going by things I like, like the two page spread, not needed, and you had a whole splash page that really doesn't do much. And then a two-page spread, and so it's an 18-page book. So now you have only 15 pages of story. But I still really dug that splash page. I just, yeah. especially since it wasn't really done then. So the fact that Trip was like, you know what? Let's do this. When nowadays, you know, you're like a splash page. It happened. There's at least one double-page splash every issue, more or less. More or less. Well, I mean, now granted, it's I'm only going by one book, but like I've been reading, going through using Marvel Unlimited, and right now I'm going through a run of all-new X-Men. Not the current series, but the first all-new X-Men run. At least once, sometimes twice an issue, and every one, there's a double-page spread. Every issue. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh yeah, there's another one. That's fine. Same thing with Uncanny X-Men at that time period, I believe. Like, the one that started in 2013. Pretty much every issue, double-page spread. But back in 1974? Not really done that often. Not unless the artist was called Jack Kirby. It's the only person, uh, the only books I can think of that would have that on a somewhat semi-regular basis is Kirby. Mm-hmm. He would do that. It's kind of cool. Kind of like like Herb Trimp, a little more forward thinking, you know. <laughs> kind of like he's yeah, like, no, no, he's good. He's um, like you know, because I like him. He's good. He's a good artist, but he was no, he's a good artist, but he's never thought of as like in the same thing as like Kirby. He obviously had a little, at least a little something of that. Guess what? It's feedback begging time again, where I beg you, please do something feedback-wise. What can you do? Well, you can go on iTunes and leave us a review. Preferably five stars, but I'll take anything at this point. You can also send us an email for your thoughts, criticisms, poems, whatever. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com Go visit our Tumblr page. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. New episodes are posted up there, images from the issues we cover, and whatever random stuff I think of. You can also find similar things on our Facebook page. Just type in Resurrections into the Facebook search box and it'll help you find it. Also, the show is on Twitter now. It has an official Twitter feed, at AdamThanosPod. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. I'd like to thank a few more people who have liked our Facebook page. I'd like to also apologize in advance if I screw up anyone's name, because I'm sure I will. And please, if I did screw up your name, my apologies, please send in an email or an audio email telling me how to pronounce your name. And I will 
correct it. Or if you send in an audio email, I will just play that. So thank you to David R. McElvery Jr., Ben Avery, Ayan Jafar and Nakshabadi, Joshua Lee Dalton, and Neil Vig. Also, when I put episode 53 up on the show's Twitter feed, it was liked and retweeted by a couple people, and I'd like to thank them. Ron, BMOC Utley, Sean Phillips, Mikey Flash, Trucker Talk, Dread, and Between the Pages. Thanks, guys. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, we're up to the friends and enemies section of the show, and normally I would record this with my co-host of the episode, which was John. However, I forgot to have it prepared when we recorded, and right now there's not enough time to get him back onto a call to do this. Whenever I do that, I normally just do it myself. But my lovely wife Kim is awake and here, and unfortunately did not say, no, I'm busy. (laughs) And so I roped her into helping me. Here we go. For anyone who doesn't know, the Friends and Enemies section, the issue we covered this episode was from July 1974. These are all the other books that have a cover date of July 1974 that Adam or Thanos have appeared in before. So we're just kind of catching up and seeing where those titles are now. Start with The Avengers 125, Power of Babel, by Steve Englehart, John Buscema, and Dave Cockrum. And I'm not really going to give much of a description there because we already covered that in episode 51. So go back and listen to that. Next is Captain Marvel, number 33, The God Himself, by Jim Starlin, Steve Englehart, and Klaus Janssen. And this one we'll also be covering in just a few episodes, so I'm not going to give you much description that there. Because why bother? Okay, so apparently the next one is my highlighted line, <laughs> Daredevil, number 111, Sword of the Samurai, by Steve Gerber, Bob Brown, and Jim Mooney. Uh, and I'm not going to understand anything I'm reading because awake is a relative term. <laughs> so That's why she didn't say no. Yeah, that is probably why I didn't say no. Uh, so let's just go ahead. Dee Dee goes to Shayna with the newfound knowledge of Black Spectre. However, the plot continues to thicken when another surprise agent of the Mandrill makes the scene. For more on this issue, check out On the Gun podcast. Shana Showcase, number seven. And I will link to that in the show notes. Next up is Fantastic Four, number 148, War on the 36th Floor, by Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. The Frightful Four Strike Again, and more than that, you can listen to Fantastic Cast, number 180. Marvel Premiere, number 16, Heart of the Dragon, by Roy Thomas, Len Wein, Larry Hama, and Dick Giordano. Danny recalls more of his years of training in Kun Lun including a shocking revelation as he seeks revenge in New York City. And finally, Thor, issue number 225, The Coming of the Fire Lord. All right, my brain is really going off on this because way too many jokes to be said. Go for it. (laughs) No, I'll just leave all the listeners to go with that one. By Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Joe Sinat. 
A brief moment's respite is all Thor can enjoy before the destroyer stirs again. But on this day, that gleaming engine of destruction will be the least of his worries. For on this day comes Fire Lord. I'm reading all of this stuff and I'm thinking to myself, wow. <laughs> My husband's an amazing man in many ways and I am lucky, truly lucky to have him. I just wish you could put this much research into figuring out how to get our lawn to grow. Because <laughs> maybe we'd have an easier time with that. Because <laughs> I'm looking at this going, wow, this, this takes a lot of background, a lot of foresight, a lot of planning, a lot of organizing. And we have a dead front lawn. <laughs> Sorry, people, but this is where my brain goes. Especially at 1247 a.m., so, anything else, babe? Nope. Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> goodnight, Gracie. So what else you got for this issue? Not really much else. Do you? I think I'm pretty well exhausted on it. I mean, it, it's good. I like it. But... I think we took everything and beat it as far as we could. <laughs> All right. That was it for this one, then, guys. And don't worry, John will be back for Incredible Hulk 178, where we will wrap up the not just this storyline, but the entire pre-Starlin Warlock story. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.